This is the Secular Voices Podcast, where we discuss news that affects the secular community, chat with secular activists, and talk about what we can do to get off our collective asses and affect change together. Now, here's your host, the head writer of Secular Voices and author of Understanding an Atheist, Kevin Davis. All right. The Secular Voices podcast has returned. So uh, for most of you, I'm sure, uh, out there listening to this, you probably haven't been exposed to the Secular Voices podcast in the past. The last time uh, I recorded a podcast was about four years ago, actually. Just tried it out. Wanted to you know, put a few episodes out there. I uh, did three episodes uh, a few interviews in there with uh, kind of prominent secular activists. Uh, plan to bring some folks in to this podcast as well. Uh, not necessarily this episode, but ones in the future. Uh, you definitely don't want to sit around listening to me uh, all the time. So uh, I'll be bringing in some co-hosts from time to time just to kind of, uh, you know, get some ideas bouncing back and forth. Uh, bring in some interview guests so that uh, folks can have their voices heard. We can highlight some great work that some uh, activists are doing out there. And really, uh, the goal in the end is to, to motivate uh, listeners to get out there, uh, do something that's going to affect change, um, get involved in your local communities um, with local activism from a secular perspective, uh, as well as you know even uh, national activism you know, if that's available to you as far as resources, travel, things like that. So obviously in a pandemic, it's a little more difficult to travel. Um, not as many events going on, uh, certainly, but, uh, you know, there's, there are other ways to get involved and, and we'll talk about those things in, uh, episodes to come. So wanted to start out with, um, just kind of a brief overview of what's been going on. As uh, many of you may know, I was previously writing at Patheos, uh, home of uh, a lot of great uh, bloggers and columnists over there at Patheos Non-Religious. And while I was there, there were a lot of changes that went on uh, as far as you know what the requirements were for writers and uh, how many times per week or per month you needed to post things. And, you know, with a busy life outside of writing, you know, full-time job, two kids, wife, house, all of that stuff, uh, it just became a little bit cumbersome to be able to, uh, you know, fulfill those requirements. So decided to take a step back, focus on some other things that really brought me joy, specifically, you know, my family and friends and things like that. So back to Secular Voices, uh, I did stay on with Patheos until a little bit into 2020, uh, but really uh, kind of lost my zeal for it really with you know the requirements that were put on as well as uh, you know it became kind of a job and I didn't want it to be a job. I wanted it to be, okay, if I have something to say, uh, if I have some news to share, I want to put it out there and, and uh, for those who want to read it, those who want to interact, then it's there for you and it's there for free and um, it's not plastered with ads and things like that that slow everything down. Uh, so, you know, 
after giving it some thought over the past few months, I thought, you know what, I, I, I really miss writing. You know, I wanted to get back out there again in the secular community. Uh, missed, you know, a lot of the you know contact I had with secular activists and um, those in the secular movement. So uh, kind of started rebooting things. Um, I have a, a Facebook page that's dedicated to uh, secular voices. I have a Facebook account that's dedicated toward uh, secular activism where I'm really um, connected with people in the secular community, mostly you know atheists, humanists. So uh, you know, rebooted those pages um, and decided to move secular voices to medium.com. So uh, you can find secular voices on medium at, medium.com slash secular voices. Uh, you'll see some new articles from me, uh, recent ones over the past couple weeks. And I hope to continue and keep writing and keep putting things out there and, and get people's feedback on what's going on and, and hopefully get clued in a little bit more as to what's going on in the secular community. So I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be you know dipping my toes back in the secular community. I hope that as the pandemic winds down a bit, first of all, that we get there soon, and second of all, as it does, that we can start having you know, larger events and getting back together again and really sharing ideas. Um, I miss the conferences and protests and, and things like that where you know, we could all get together and, and really talk about the issues facing us uh, in the community. So that said... Um, again, we're back, uh, secularvoices.net, you can find it, redirects to medium.com slash secularvoices, so let's get started. So the first article that I wrote and posted on Medium was about a priest who was ousted, um, by his Wisconsin diocese for performing voter fraud exorcisms. Uh, apparently what this guy did, and he, Reverend John Zulsdorf, if that's how you say it, um, what he did was apply to his local leadership. You know, you have to have, if you want to do an exorcism in the Catholic Church, you have to get it approved first. So uh, you go to your bishop, I believe, and you say, okay, I have this case where I need to perform an exorcism. Here are the circumstances. Uh, here's what I think will happen uh, as a result of the exorcism. This is why I need to do it. So you need to really state your case, um, get approval for that exorcism, because, I mean, the Catholic Church, right, they don't want exorcisms to become a joke, so they don't want folks just going out and willy-nilly exercising people because... You know, then it'll be, it won't be respected anymore. It won't be this uh, solemn rite and ritual. Uh, but in, in, <laughs> uh, in actuality, I think uh, most people think that exorcisms are ridiculous. But um, so this guy, uh, Reverend John, we'll call him. So he goes to his bishop, uh, Bishop Donald, and uh, gets permission to perform an exorcism. However, he didn't get permission to do an exorcism for voter fraud. Uh, 
he got permission to do an exorcism for uh, COVID-related issues. So, uh, again, I don't, I, I'm not sure what would qualify someone for a COVID exorcism. Um, I'm assuming that it, it COVID now is caused by demons. Is that what we're saying? That that that's why someone needed an exorcism because um, they had the coronavirus and that's equal to a demon. Yeah, that part is is unclear to me as to why uh, Reverend John got permission to do COVID-related exorcisms, but uh, he took that approval and instead applied it to voter fraud. So I guess voter fraud is caused by demons, right? So we had little demons running around and voting on ballots in Georgia and other states where uh, they weren't eligible to vote. Um, Were they not showing ID? I'm not sure... How that works, uh, were, were demons infecting uh, Republicans so that the Republicans would go to the polls and vote for a Democrat? Or were the poll workers infected by demons and they were counting the votes wrong? I'm really not sure whose demons were exercising here. Uh, but when word started spreading via, get this, YouTube... Apparently, the exorcisms were videotaped and posted on YouTube and unfortunately have been since taken down. So uh, we are not able to view those. But man, I would love to see those. I would love to witness what a voter fraud exorcism looks like. Um the power of Christ compels you to vote for Trump. I don't know. I don't know what that is. But anyway, uh, the diocese got word that these exorcisms that were approved for COVID started getting used for voter fraud. So they pulled the plug, uh, had the videos taken down from YouTube, and good old Reverend John uh, has parted ways with the uh, Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin, uh, as a mutual decision. Of course, it's always a mutual decision. And uh, he has gone on his way, and he will be exercising demons elsewhere from now on. So, uh, crazy, crazy story. But, you know, I think we've come to expect a bit of craziness from the Catholic Church. Um, they... They can really, really be out there um, with these archaic beliefs um, and their inability to evolve uh, in today's world. They, They are so stuck in the past. But back to exercising coronavirus, it, it just makes me think like, so is it just coronavirus that needs an exorcism? Is it any virus? Are all viruses demons, or are they caused by demons? I'm wondering, like, what was the view of the church in approving an exorcism for coronavirus? If so, so if I get a cold, can I get an exorcism? Is that gonna like take care of the sniffles? 
I mean, if if viruses or any other illnesses are caused by demons, wouldn't you think that if exorcisms are a, a legit way to resolve these issues, that we'd be hospitals would be replaced by exorcism centers, and everybody would be healed? I mean, what is this lunacy? You know, this is Madison, Wisconsin. This isn't some third world country and or you know uh, with people who haven't seen haven't been touched by western civilization or something like that this is madison wisconsin and we are exercising coronavirus demons and voter fraud demons in madison wisconsin i don't know i don't know you guys tell me so hit me up on uh on the facebook page uh, Facebook slash uh, Secular Voices Org. Let me know what you think about it. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Kev Tweets Things. Look me up. All right. So uh, the next uh, story I want to talk about is uh, about this school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or near Tulsa. I think it's a suburb of Tulsa, um, Owasso, Oklahoma. Uh, so this eight-year-old girl at Rejoice Christian School in Owasso got expelled from her school. I didn't think she was in second grade. Uh, got expelled. Her name was Chloe. She sounds adorable. Uh, she got expelled because she told a classmate, a female classmate, that she had a crush on her. So she got expelled. Wow. So I guess she, she walked up to her classmate. She said, she said that she had a crush. Somehow word got to the teachers or administrators or whatever. Uh, school administrator sat down with little Chloe and told her that the Bible says you can only marry a man and have children with a man. This is according to Chloe's mom. Um, Chloe's mom then said that they ripped her kids out of the only school they have ever really known, away from their teachers and friends they've had over the past four years, over something her daughter probably doesn't even know or fully understand. That's from her mom, Diane Shelton. When little Chloe got expelled, uh, the school administrators were asked why they did it, and at first their response was that they were only following the student handbook. So apparently the student handbook says, if a second grader has a same-sex crush, you need to kick her out of school. Well, that seems fair. Uh, however, the student handbook doesn't say anything like that. Shocker. Shocker. The student handbook doesn't mention expulsion for this type of situation at all. The only thing the student handbook says is that boyfriend-girlfriend relationships are prohibited. So, it is not allowed for Chloe to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Okay. So, what we should do, if that's not allowed in school is sit 
little Chloe down with little Chloe's mom and you say, Chloe, you're not allowed to have a girlfriend or boyfriend yet because you're eight years old and you're not ready for that. That's nice that you like little Susie and you like her a lot. That's great. But don't ask her out on a date? I don't know. Like, you're, you're eight years old. Who didn't have crushes on whoever when you're eight years old? And it's not like it's something bad. I, ju- I just don't get this. I mean, these are grown adults making decisions for kids, and you're presented with an eight-year-old child who says she has a crush on another little girl, and you have to give her a lecture about who she's allowed to marry according to the Bible? She's eight fucking years old. She's not getting married. Sorry, I have uh, two boys, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. Now, granted, I'm not religious, and granted, I am a liberal, a progressive, so... Obviously, if either of my kids came home and said they had a crush on a boy, I'd be like, that's great. What's his name? And explain what you what you mean by having a crush. And I'd want to explore that and, and understand their feelings. And I'd also want to tell them that that's okay. Because you who you have a crush on is not something you control. So you are not at fault for that. And I sure as hell wouldn't tell them who they're allowed to marry at five years old and nine years old. Marry? And have kids? Chloe is eight. I just I just can't. But it's Tulsa, Oklahoma, so you know what? Uh, I guess what can you expect? So these grown adults expel Chloe, and it, it seems like from from the mom's statement that she might have other kids and pulled them out of the school too, or they all got expelled or something. I'm I'm not sure how that happened, but you know her in her statement she said um, they ripped my kids out of the only school they've ever really known. So uh, you know maybe the whole family got bounced. I'm not sure. I mean, how fragile, how fragile is your belief system that it's threatened by an eight-year-old who says she has a crush on another girl? How fragile is your belief system that instead of, and, and, and if this is what you believe and this is in line with the parents' beliefs, and this is what they want you to teach their kid, instead of kicking that kid out of school and probably scarring her to the point where she doesn't want a goddamn thing to do with your religion anymore, right? Instead of doing that, wouldn't you want to guide her toward following the tenets of your religion? I mean, I'm not defending the church's this this 
school's stance on same-sex relationships, no. I'm not defending indoctrination. There's no way. Um, but, I mean, from a practical standpoint, if I'm the school and I believe this shit, I guess what I would do would, would be you keep the kid in the school, you guide her toward whatever you want it to be, you coach her along the way, and you try to, quote, save her, right? But but no, instead, I mean, and good for Chloe, I guess, in the end, but instead, the school does the most damaging thing to a child they can do, and they kick her ass out of the school. And what's Chloe's reaction to this? She goes crying to her mother and says, I'm afraid God doesn't love me anymore. If that's not the most heartbreaking thing you can hear from your eight-year-old kid, if you're a religious person, that is, that the figure that this kid holds most high, right, because she's been indoctrinated to think that there's a God out there and you want that God to love you and that God loves you so much more than anything in the world, that God loves you so much, and then your Christian school kicks your ass out on the curb and you say, oh shit, God doesn't love me anymore, and that shatters you. So these people who studied education, these people who studied childhood development, child psychology, turn their backs on everything they learned, reject an eight-year-old girl, damaging her self-esteem that you probably already tore to shreds anyway with your religious ridiculousness, but took it a step further and tossed her out on the street from a school perspective, that is. So shame on you, administrators at Rejoice Christian School in Owasso, Oklahoma, for not only damaging children by indoctrinating them into your ridiculous religion and telling them that somehow you are damaged goods, even though you're little kids, and you have this disease called sin, and the only way to cure you of this disease is to accept Jesus as your Savior. Shame on you for teaching kids that. That utter nonsense. That abusive relationship starter kit. Shame on you for doing that. And then shame on you again for building this kid up to think that Jesus loves her for who she is, and then because she said she had a crush on another little girl, you kicked her out of your Christian school and made her think that God doesn't love her anymore. I hope that the mom puts her kids into secular education, into a public school or a private school that's not focused on religion, and they get a real education focused on math, science, literature, art, Subjects that will make them useful human beings in our society, not superstitious drones walking around thinking that some daddy in the sky is responsible for all the good things in your life and you are responsible for all the bad things in your life. You can find this story on Secular Voices on Medium. Uh, stop by, check it out. 
leave a few comments. Let me know what you think about it and uh, continue the conversation there for sure. But before I lose my shit, <laughs> I'm going to stop talking about this. Uh, like I said, as a parent of a five and nine year old, this one really hit home. Uh, I went to, to Catholic school until eighth grade and I could totally see this happening in my school for sure. Um, so yeah, this one, this one touched a nerve, uh, as you can tell, but, uh, we will move on. So another topic I wrote about this week, or was it last week? Yeah, last week, um, was about conspiracy theorists and this, uh, survey that came out by Lifeway, um, that was focused on Protestant pastors in the United States. So the survey was published, um, and half of uh, the folks who responded, the, the Protestant pastors who responded in this survey, half of them reported overhearing church members sharing conspiracy theories in their churches or at church events. Now, I know that's not going to be shocking to many. Uh, certainly wasn't shocking to me. But, uh, you know, you look at the Capitol insurrection that happened in January of this year. And you look around at the pictures and the videos of uh, the protesters outside and, of course, inside. And what did you see? You saw Jesus banners, crosses uh, amongst the, you know, QAnon signs and flags, um, people screaming about voter fraud, conspiracies, um, you know, all of that. But, but you saw this, these religious icons peppered throughout the the crowd that was there to protest a political conspiracy theory that they were buying into right that was you know obviously propagated by uh the far right and far right media outlets as well as the uh outgoing president so that you have this this political conspiracy theory you have uh crosses and Jesus flags and, uh, you know, rhetoric that Trump was sent by God and all of this. He said the anointed one, all of this stuff, right? Within this political movement. So when we hear from this survey by Lifeway that conspiracy theories are running rampant among Christians, among Protestants, um, it's not a surprise, right? But now we have this confirmation um, that, you know, these, these Christians and conspiracy theorists are all tied together, you know, in, in, into one group. So in looking at this LifeWay study, right, they said uh, 49% of pastors said that they frequently hear members of their congregation repeating conspiracy theories about why something is happening in our country. And then, when we're talking about larger churches, churches of 250-plus members, we're up to 61% of pastors say they frequently hear their congregation talking about conspiracy theories and spreading conspiracy theories at their events. So if you think about conspiracy theories and you think about Christianity, there are so many parallels in the psychology of conspiracy theories versus 
religion. And that's any religion. But specifically, since this study was about Protestant churches, let's talk about Christianity. So I went looking around to see if this was this link was covered somewhere, like, you know, Psychology Today or, or journals somewhere, or, you know, what kind of studies have been done on the similarity of your typical conspiracy theory with religion, right? Has anyone compared your mainstream conspiracy theory, mainstream being accepted by many, I guess? So what I found was, uh, in my looking around, is that uh, Beth Skwarecki of uh, Lifehacker, she wrote an article in 2020 um, about conspiracy theories, and she listed some key characteristics of conspiracy theories. So I read through what those conspiracy theories were and kind of in my head thinking about Christianity at the same time and my experience with Christianity and how it relates to the characteristics that she listed out in knowing you know, the people I was around when I was a Christian, um, the things that they would say, the excuses they would make, and I kind of applied that to her characteristics. So let me run through these. So the first thing that she talks about is contradictory ideas. Ideas that conflict with each other are absorbed into the theory, even though if one were true, another would have to be false. So let's talk about that in terms of Christianity. And all of the contradictions in the Bible, the Christians use these apologetics somersaults to try to talk their way around, right? So I, I think we all know about how many contradictions there are in the Bible. So let's take a look at the next one. Overriding suspicion. People who have bought into a conspiracy theory will discount official sources out of hand, regardless of their content. So if I bought into a conspiracy and someone brings to me a scientific article or a political article or a speech or you know a video of something happening, and this is an official source, if I believe the conspiracy theory and that, that official source tells me I'm wrong, what am I going to say about that news source you just brought me? Oh, it's, it's fake news. They must be fake news. It's not real. So there's your example of uh, discounting official sources out of hand, right? So in the Christian world, Christianity, those official sources are archaeology, biology, geology, any other science that contradicts the Bible. The Bible, which was written by people who didn't know where the sun went at night, by people who thought there was an end to the earth, meaning you could walk to the end of the earth. And we still have people that believe that. Those people are not scientists. So, uh, you know, there are many archaeological, biological discoveries, geological discoveries that contradict what people think they read in the Bible, such as man and dinosaurs coexisting and the earth being 6,000 years old. But people like Ken Ham and his ilk discount those sources or try to find some whack job scientist who will say they have proof that 
99.9% of scientists are wrong anyway. So the next one is nefarious intent. The powers that run these supposed conspiracies never have a boring or benign motivation. So that's saying that the folks who are propagating these conspiracies have an end goal in mind, right? So the people who are propagating the Q conspiracies, what's their goal? To keep Trump in power. The people who rush the Capitol to keep Trump in power. I'd say that's a nefarious intent. I mean, I mean, some of these people still think that uh, in March, Trump is going to get sworn into office. Like, what? They think he's going to be sworn in and become president again next month. Anyway, so on the religious side, uh, I think we can all agree that, you know, many, many, many churches are in it for the money and the power, the control of people. I mean, especially when we're talking about a megachurch, right? What are megachurch pastors getting from their role? Is it that they just like to save people? Or are they enjoying their private jets and their yachts and their gigantic mansions? I'd say that being filthy rich is not a boring motivation. I'd say that scamming people out of money that they barely have is a nefarious intent. Especially these prosperity preachers, right? Give me money and you'll get more. It makes no goddamn sense. It's a pyramid scheme. But hey, they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to do that on TV on Sunday mornings and put their phone number on the screen and you call with your credit card and you go further into debt because I've been promised that if I go further into debt, I'm going to get paid off soon. Maybe before I'm dead. But probably not. So the next one is something must be wrong in quotes. And the explanation of that is even if you can disprove a piece of information that supports the theory, believers will still believe the theory because of a sense that something must be wrong here. So again, if even if you could disprove something that supports that theory, that conspiracy theory, the believers in that conspiracy theory will still believe it because they feel like something must be wrong here. You can't have evidence that disproves what I think. Something's wrong. And I'm going to look into it. I'm going to go on YouTube. Because that's where all the truth is. So on the Christian side of this, right? What are we, what are we talking about here? You know, this happens all the time with creationists. Using pseudoscience or just bad science to back up their claims and prove real scientists wrong. We also see it from Christians when you show them proof of an inaccuracy in the Bible, right? Something that's in the Bible that science has proven wrong or that science has explained since the Bible was published. You show them, hey, here's what it really means when someone got turned into a pillar of salt. Scientists have figured out what that was. It wasn't people turning into salt. 
It was a geological event, a scientific event that we can prove, that we can show those piles of salt weren't people. So stop. But then they say, you know what? You're wrong. Something must be wrong here. That's not true. I can't believe that. I can't believe your evidence, your solid evidence. Or they'll say, well, I'm not an expert in this. I just tell everybody about Jesus. But I'm not an expert in this, so you should talk to my pastor, and he'll tell you why you're wrong. No thanks. Like, I don't have anything better to do than to call your pastor because you couldn't answer my question or you couldn't believe evidence that's right in front of your face. All right, so there's a couple more here. Immune to evidence. Any evidence that seems to contradict the conspiracy theory will be reinterpreted by believers as lies whose existence proves that the people in power are trying to discredit the theory, which in turn strengthens their belief in the theory. So there's this circular event here that happens. So you show me evidence that contradicts my theory, and I'm going to tell you, well, those are lies coming from some nefarious source of people in power that want to discredit my theory which just shows you that I'm right. Huh. So on the Christian side, this isn't evidence that disproves my Christianity. This isn't evidence that disproves the Bible. These are lies straight from the devil. So I'm going to be a stronger believer because now I have proof that the devil is after me and wants to change my mind about my religion. What a backfire. You show somebody evidence to try to bring them into reality and they turn it around, and it only makes their faith stronger because they have broken theories. Wow. And then finally, we have reinterpreting randomness. Oh, yeah. Right off the bat, I think we know where we're going here. Happenings that have nothing to do with the substance of the conspiracy theory will be interpreted as if they are somehow related. So you know how, like, these conspiracy theorists now... Something happens. So here's an example. They say Trump is going to win the election. Trump doesn't win the election. Then they say the electors are not going to vote for Biden. The electors vote for Biden. Then they say Pence will not certify the election results. Pence certifies the election result. Then they say Biden will not be sworn in on January 20th. Biden is sworn in on January 20th. Then they say, all of this that we said wasn't going to happen, happened because there's another plan happening behind the scenes where Trump is going to get sworn in next month. What? So the original conspiracy theory is voter fraud. And then you have the actual things that are supposed to happen in American government happen, the electors voting, the certification of results, the inauguration, all these things happen. But now they say, well, these things happen because they have to go through with this process to get to the next process, which is going to be Trump going into his next term. So all of these things that have nothing to do with your voter fraud conspiracy theory are now intertwined as this larger conspiracy theory because everything's related, even though they're not. 
So like I said on the Christian side, this one's super easy. Everything that happens that's good is because of God. While anything bad that happens is part of his plan or because he works in mysterious ways or is actually our fault because we're sinners or because of free will. So your conspiracy theory is Christianity. And all of these things that happen outside your religion are now brought into your religion. They're part of it. Everything good that happens to you is part of your religion, even though it's not related to your religion. I got a raise at work. I didn't, but, you know. I got a raise at work. Well, that's related to my religious conspiracy theory. God did that. It's because he loves you. I got laid off from work. Well, huh. That's part of his plan. It had nothing to do with the religious conspiracy theory, but I'm going to make it have something to do with the religious conspiracy theory. It's part of his plan. He works in mysterious ways. He doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. Oh, bullshit. They bring everything into their conspiracy theory. Your existence is part of their conspiracy theory. So we just went through seven characteristics. Seven characteristics of conspiracy theories and all of them can be applied to Christianity and not in an, it, not a stretch I mean these are glaring characteristics of Christianity so is it any surprise that conspiracy theorists are overwhelmingly religious or that religious people are more likely to be sharing conspiracy theories I mean I think we all know that once you believe in one conspiracy theory, you start to believe in more of them. How many of you have a friend or former friend who believes in chemtrails, right? We don't talk about chemtrails anymore. We should talk about chemtrails. They're fascinating. Water vapor in the air, it's condensation from airplanes, was turned into this crazy freaking theory that we're being poisoned or that the government is trying to control the weather through some sort of chemicals being dropped by commuter jets. And we have videos of this on YouTube, of course. So how many of you know people who believe in chemtrails? And of those people who believe in chemtrails, they definitely believe in another conspiracy theory. I guarantee you it doesn't stop there. It all goes back to either a distrust in government or wanting to be part of something bigger, or not wanting to believe that what you're experiencing in the world is all there is. People can't wrap their head around that. All you're experiencing in the world is all there is. No, no, there's gotta be a uh, sky daddy. I'm not alone, no way, I can't be. Oh no, my dead relatives are all following me around while I go to the bathroom. And other things. If you think your grandma is watching over you, then guess what? Grandma's watching you do some nasty stuff. Better quit that. She is shocked. So, once you believe in one of these conspiracy theories, you are so more likely to believe in more. And that's why we have people who are brought up in the conspiracy theory of Christianity who very easily adopt 
these insane, unevidenced conspiracy theories related to politics, related to pedophilia, which is just this... What a weird thing for conspiracy theories to be focused on. Is it because we think pedophilia is the worst possible thing you can be involved in? Is that why? So we're going to make up these conspiracy theories and claim everyone is a pedophile? God, going around and being obsessed with who's a pedophile and who isn't? Yikes. Anyway, so I think, I, I think, we've, uh, I think it's fairly obvious that uh, Christianity is the ultimate conspiracy theory. I should say Christianity and other major religions are the ultimate conspiracy theory. So take a look at uh, this story also uh, on Secular Voices on Medium. Get involved in the conversation. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, hop on to the site and leave your comments. Um, when I was at Pathios, I made a, a habit of interacting with readers. It's It's one of uh, my favorite things to do once I've posted a story and I, once I post stories, I'll, I'll share them on Facebook and groups that, you know, are relevant to the topic I'm writing about. And, you know, I love to see the comments. I love to interact with people, hear their thoughts. So, you know, hop onto the site, leave some comments there. Uh, I will respond. I'm not one of those folks who writes a story, pops it up there and walks away. So, uh, I'm more interested in the conversation that happens afterward. So join me there, medium.com slash secular voices. So that's it for the first podcast back. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, a little bit different than uh, the ones I did a few years ago. Uh, I plan, again, I plan to bring in guests, guest co-hosts, uh, interviews, things like that. But just wanted to get this one out there and get it off the ground. I uh, hope you enjoy. I hope you subscribe. And I hope you visit me on Medium and get involved in the discussion. Have a great week ahead, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Secular Voices podcast. For more content, check out secularvoices.net and be sure to subscribe. Kevin's book, Understanding an Atheist, is available on Amazon and other online retailers. Have a great week ahead. And remember to be rational, be outspoken, be heard.